Gaming NBS, episode 333, being recorded March 15th, 2021! Welcome to Gaming NBS, a tabletop RPG podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show, folks. Welcome back. Glad you all are here. Sean, how are you, man? I'm doing well, Brett. How are you? You, you, you look trim. You look trimmer. Mostly because I think you cut off about five pounds of hair. I did, man. If you go to Twitter, you see all the hair sitting on the floor of my bathroom. Yes. I got a... I think it was like 30 bucks, man, at Amazon. It was, and it came with a plastic case, a wall hair trimmer with like 10 yeah. depth, yeah, 10 depth adapters. You just went at it yourself? With a, even had a barber cloth and uh, oh, so nice. shears in it and everything. Nice. Yeah, I went to, all by myself, man. No, wife just trimmed the back just to make sure it was even across. That was it. Otherwise? Yeah, she trimmed it in the back so it's even across. Kind of looks a little like this. Yeah. Because y'all can't see it. What the fuck? No. <laughs> so, yeah, man, I got a haircut. Very nice. Yeah. I did, too. feel much better. We're, yeah, we're yeah, trimming the sides. Yeah, looking, looking mighty fine. Hey, well, we're fine-looking men. What are you going to say? I mean, it's just, it's just a thing. Yeah. So, dude, did you get any gaming in since we talked last? Game? A little bit played, of running? A little bit of something? Played some low fantasy gaming with hops. And then... Uh, Thursday, I did not game. Did I game? No. Did you, no, okay. I was waiting for another uh, Forbidden Lands update. No? That's this Thursday. That's this Thursday, okay. I streamed Saturday, and I, I did some stuff. VC, I think you may have convinced VC to pick up a copy of Forbidden Lands. He said he ordered two. He was texting me, and he's like, I don't know. And I'm like, I told him, I said, I got to play this game with you. <laughs> now, I told you this. I want to play it because... There are parts of me like, huh, I love the output, blah, blah, blah. I want to play it before I buy it. Yeah. Because um, uh, there's parts of the way you've described it to me. I'm like, that sounds terrible. But the output, I'm like, wow, that sounds amazing. How you got there sounds terrible. So it, it's definitely one of those games like, I want to play this and try to foregone conclusions, you know, kick them out and really give it a go. So whenever you're done with this campaign and we're going to do another one, you let me know because I'm in. I want to try it for sure. Okie dokie dokie. Let's see. Last Thursday was my Greyhawk game. <laughs> Excuse me, it worked really well. My buddy Beta joined us, so we've got a third level wizard with all... Oh, wait, I think he, he leveled up, so he's got 11 hit points now. And um, I ran this wonderful little monster combo thing on him where they're going through this... Going to the back door to the Dwarven Keep, right, where they have to get in the mountains. So they cruise along the old Dwarven Guide... And they get thrown this little snaky one man, you know, one person leading a horse, this narrow path of sheer cliffs, the whole bit in the mountains. They get to a wider section, it kind of widens out. Maybe two or three could walk abreast. And they see this mound of like, it looks like this big pile of bones and bodies or parts of stuff. And it's kind of rotting and stinks. Like, oh my gosh, what the hell is that? This horrible smell. Um, and then I'm like, okay, make your magic saves. Like, what do you mean? What's going on? We'll hear this wonderful, sweet singing. So the harpies kick in, right? So there's harpies somewhere. And they see one harpy alight on top of this mound of bones and, you know, debris and whatnot. And she's just singing away. And Lenny, fail. He's like, oh, darling. And he just starts trot running towards this harpy. Well, the other one's saved. So three more harpies descend on them from above and start fighting them. And it's touch and go, right? Because it's a narrowish pass. How do I do this? How do we do that? 
So like, okay, it's going to be annoying. Lenny runs up on the first heartbeat. Before he can get there, she stops singing. So this, so he's like, what? She flaps away, and a troll busts out of this hidden cave. So the trolls and the harpies have this, the troll, single troll, and the harpies have this weird little uh, symbiotic relationship going. So it was like, ah, fuck. <laughs> and thank God they had the mage with them this time because Beta's like, sleep. Like, oh, well, if they make their saving throw, I'm like, no, no, kids, there's no saving throw. Really? Yeah. And of the three harpies above me, took out two. <laughs> so oh, they fell. <laughs> so that was Andy. Uh, but they eventually took out all all the harpies, uh, eventually killed the troll. Lenny's character went down hard. They were able to save him, do a lot of reconnoitering and figuring stuff out. A lot of the thief finally got a chance to do his scale shear surfaces check and went all the way up to the harpy's nest. Easy pie. Rooted around in there, found a couple of magic items I'd stashed in there. Just and I didn't think anybody would actually get up there, but by God, he climbed <laughs> he climbed up there, scampered back down. So it was a lot of fun. They were, um, Lenny's like, oh, horrible stench. It's got to be a troll or a harpy. Our trolls are harpies. But they had, no one had an idea that was going to match the two together. That's, <laughs> uh, so it uh, it freaked him out because, ah, fuck. Because they couldn't tell, is it one troll or are there trolls uh, multiples in that cave? Turned out there was just one. But it was still pretty touch and go. That was fun. And then Friday was Call Cthulhu at Lenny's, his horror on the Orient Express. Um he is pulling out all the stops on that one insofar as there's a lot of little side quest adventures. And he's told us flat, he goes, I'm going to have you do all of them. He said, because it's a huge adventure. I want to do every page, basically. Like, all right, bring it on. So we have been uh, transported through time. You'll like this, your upcoming Delta Green game. Um, we've been going back in time to these other people historically running. And there's a blood red, weird, demonic fez of all bizarre things. Hunting that fucker down, trying to figure out what's going on. And we've changed, changed characters. It's, it's a blast. All trying to maintain sanity and figure out what the hell we know. And then Saturday, <laughs> I had the first uh, role-playing game at my house um, with my friends here. It's the local guys. As I said, we don't go anywhere except each other's houses. And um, they showed up, and I ran my Access Monday game, and it was a huge, crazy-ass reveal, World of Darkness stuff. And it was a blast. A lot, a lot of fun. The, the the game and the story, I think, only makes sense if you're in it. I don't know if I can explain it appropriately, but I'll try at a different time. But it was it was a lot of fun to have. So basically three uh, three evenings back to back to back of gaming for me. That was really fun. A lot of fun. That's good money there. Damn good money. Oh, speaking of uh, good money, I don't know if you've seen it, but Alex Cameron and the boys are thinking it, signs are looking up towards a potential in-person game hole con this year from what they're talking about. So a lot of that has to do with uh, vaccinations. Who can get them? Does everyone who wants one have them? You know, will the the rules within Dane County, can you have? How many people can you have? What can you do? So on and so forth by November. It's enough time between now and then. If you're not following Alex Cameron, the Game Hole guys on Twitter, some social media, get out there. If you don't want to follow Alex directly, but at least the Game Hole crew, if you're interested in it, um, they're doing the best they can to post up. Regular regular news updates as it as it hits them. So, uh, any other announcements, man? No. All right, let's random encounter, shall we? All right, let's get into random encounter. Two to four miscellaneous points, game and a geekery. We want to bring to you. You start. I talk, I, I told them that's die roll. Is that, random well, encounter is. Oh yeah! Oh my god! Wow. Comments from social media. <laughs> 
Wow, we just, <laughs> I, I just, I just, I just blew right by you. Wow. Yeah, this is emails, voicemails, social media from listeners and so forth on the forums and so on. There you yeah. go, Brett. Brett yeah, we're pretty good. I, I got it that time. All right. How about this show? Why don't you lead us off on random encounter? Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. First one, Tom comments on RPG Purge. I've done this twice. Once when I realized my RPG collection had consumed two entire bookshelves, I cut it down by half. Then last year when we moved, I trimmed my collection down to three shelves. One is various box sets. I looked at each item. If I use or reference it semi-regularly, I put it in the keep stack. If I haven't really looked at it in 10 years or more and I can't, and can't imagine something coming up where I would use it, I put it on the sell stack. I go through the keep stack again, calling out those items I lied to myself about the first time. (laughs) (laughs) Then I go through it again. And even if I reference it from time to time, I ask myself if I don't have another resource that serves the same function. If so, it goes on the sell stack. Find anything that I keep out of hopes I'll use it, but haven't in years. Can I find a PDF copy? If so, it goes on the sell stack. None of the above applies to my first edition deities, demigods with Cthulhu, Melabone, or nor does it apply to my boxed Journey or Jeroen, 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 yeah, yes. or Rune Quest RPGs. Those stay. Period. Yeah, I have a uh, I have a beat the hell deities and demigods with Cthulhu, Melabone, and others. So yeah, that one I hang on to, and I actually do reference that one from time to time. That's a good way to look at it. And we did have some people, I think Law Dog and a couple other people on Twitter, like, what the fuck? Who gets rid of gaming books? You bunch of morons. I never. And I think that's awesome. There are, there are some some folks out there who have and love having all of this stuff. And I think it's great. And I don't, um, neither Sean nor I were saying you've got to do it. Like, or you're a bad person or a crap gamer. So it's just, it's just something Sean and I have done. And people were asking us like, hey, how do you talk about it? Right. So hence we talked about it. I definitely think that it is very much a person by person type of thing as we tried to talk about before, right? Some people are like, I just can't get rid of them because I love them and I really like having all this stuff and it's fun. And hey, man, if it's your bag, it's your bag. Do it. Just get in there and go. It's all good. Anything else on that much, Sean? No. All right. Let's see. Jeremy, Jeremy comments on the X card from episode 331. And this, I think, Sean comes from a. Uh, Random encounter piece we talked about. So it does, see, yeah. Jeremy says, yes, hey, I, in a random encounter for that episode, episode 331, Matt wrote in about an alternative, alternative way to use the X card. I've also seen it used that way. I think it's in the details of introducing the X card to the table to use it for something silly, like to take back a joke description or something. I've seen the facilitator GM ask, do I need to use the X card here? In a game that everyone had agreed to push the line ahead of time. That's fine, but it does also lead... To some of the problems which you two brought up, especially because the X feels like a big no for what happened. Like your answer, like you answered wrong on Family Feud. <laughs> Sorry, three strikes. Um, that's why I like using script change by Brebo Sheldon. It is a content, uh, content consent and safety tool for all games. Use the same, ter- same terms, pause, resume, frame by frame, rewind, fast forward, and instant replay. I find that everyone is familiar with these terms, and therefore it's u- very user-friendly. There are explanations for each of these terms that elaborate and give some nuances to work with, too. What's especially great about this tool is that it encourages checking in with a pulse button. 
For pause. example, pause. Excuse me. Pause button. I said pulse. <laughs> I'm thinking. Keep your finger on the pulse, right? right With right, the pause right. button. For example, pause. Hey, y'all. We just heard a child scream from upstairs, and we're talking to which that may be well, whatever lead to battle we might get tpk but my cleric isn't going to take the time to verify if the witch is just babysitting the neighbor's kid he's going to assume the worst and smash her in the face you cool with that or should we let the scene play out a little more before i smash her <laughs> i like that <laughs> the table then knows the but the potentially party killing move i'm going to make i mean i think these tools could use uh, could be used less if we also shared the thoughts of our characters more as we narrate action but that's a different subject in the episode, Sean said, I don't ever want to use the X card. And I'm sure that was more about not being an edgelord player or GM. But I think any introduction of potential, potential hesitancy at the table isn't great. And that's why the X card isn't for every group. If we are worried about making mistakes with the tool or worried about mistakes in general, or fun make em ups aren't going to be very much fun. Our fun make em ups aren't going to be very much fun. And a tool which the group is afraid to use isn't much of a tool for the group. Maybe script change would work better for such a group. Here's a link to the script change. So we got a link out there for that. Thanks for the BSing about games, Jeremy Marr. Good info, Jeremy. I think that well, I think you mentioned there is interesting, and I didn't. When you said also share the thoughts of our characters more as we narrate the action, I think I've never heard it described as that. But after having played with my home group now three three you know Thursday Friday Saturday back to back, we do this all the time in my group, and I don't think we do it for x card purposes i, I guess and in, in, in maybe maybe we do and we just have been doing it for so damn long but people have a tendency in a lot of games i play even not even my home group but to to narrate the reason why the character is doing something when someone says oh my gosh uh, it might be because we're all kind of trying to facilitate that or, or something i'm trying to do as well but i i often try to ask ask people if they're not always forthcoming to narrate the thoughts. Why does your character want to do that? What's important to you and so forth? And I think if, if you get in that habit, then like your witch example, Jeremy, I think that type of thing happens more regular, regularly at the table. Just an initial thought in my head. What do you think about that one, Sean? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, even Jared Rasher mentioned the pause, rewind. Like he has literal, I think, physical cards on his table. Oh, wow. That people can like, like oh, he showed he showed cards anyway. Yeah. I don't know him. But uh Pause, yeah. Forward, rewind. yeah. Yeah. Which makes sense. And I I think that's not a bad approach. I think that's probably a good happy medium I would see. Uh I don't mind using X card. It's not a big detractor or anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would surely whip it out at uh client uh clients at cons. <laughs> God, man, day job still. day job creeping in. I would still have it at a table at conventions or people I'm not I'm not wholly familiar with playing with on a regular basis or what have you um which reminds me I should probably get one for for midlands I don't even think we have a physical one but um that that the fast forward rewind pause is nice because it's it can cover a lot of different things and it doesn't have to be this dramatic record scratch when somebody yeah. taps the tax card so I think the nice yeah. thing about it is it's a different, it's a slightly different approach that helps attain the same goal. Like you can get the same type of thing. You avoid the wrong stuff, slash the right stuff. You help move things along in the right places and so forth. And some of it's going to depend on, you know, Brett's table, that works perfectly fine. Eileen's table, they can't stand that one. They want to use a different one. And Sean's table, they don't like either of those. They do something totally different. And that's absolutely fine. 
sometimes it's just the uh, figuring out how your group operates, you know, is really good. We've talked, I mean, I talked about this number of episodes back about how my group and I had, we got all got a bit of a pissy match where about my Warhammer first edition game where I, Zave and I got mad at each other, right? I had to call him up and say, dude, what the fuck? Um, now I've known those jokers for 20, 30 years. So it's a different story, but it doesn't mean that bad feelings and it doesn't mean things can't go wrong. Right. Right. Just because you've known people for a long time. Sometimes weird ass shit happens. So no, I like it. I thought it was good. I've never actually heard of that idea before, before I saw it here. And then on uh, when Jared Rasher, the pause, rewind stuff, that whole that whole different approach. I never even thought of that idea. So it's kind of cool to know it's out there. Yeah. Next one's for you, sir. Mike from Idaho comments on RPG tourist. Thoughts and comments from a tourist. Thought I needed to be well-versed in the rule system and mechanics before I rolled any dice. I read and studied everything I thought I would need to play 5th edition. And then I get asked to play in a DCC game. When we sat at the virtual table, I had almost no idea what I was doing. Luckily, good people like Laramie. What? Laramie? Good. Wait, wait. Just Laramie and good people? Laramie and good people in the same sentence. Holy cow. <laughs> That's, I've had Laramie at my table. He's a good guy. So this is cool. Uh, let's see. Like Laramie and others helped me and made it fun to learn in the process. Then Edwin ran a, a Call of Cthulhu game with some of the BSers and the same thing. They nudged me in the right direction and helped teach what I needed to know during the play itself. That group has continued with Hobbs running OSE and Nola Burt running his Five Torches Deep Zine. I guess what I am trying to say, and sorry it took so long, is I agree with a lot of what was brought up in the podcast. People like to help other people, and when you are passionate about something, you want to teach it, and you want people to love what you love. I think our group is close to calling each other yahoos, and I feel that I am no longer a tourist, but a resident. I like the idea of the Google Sheet and signing up for games. It looks like many of us will enter into unfamiliar territory, and I have no doubt that we will need to pull our map out of our fanny pack and ask for help. I know this was a different topic, but I enjoyed it. Thanks again to all BSers. Now, Dondeas Elbano, Mike from Idaho. Cool, Mike. I like that. I think that's very true. There used to be, and now I shouldn't say used to be, there are still small pockets within every hobby that I've ever encountered or any pastime, whatever you want to say. I have been to martial arts tournaments where there is essentially the martial arts grognard men and women who are like grumpy and annoyed that anybody else hasn't spent the last 50 years of their life doing the thing that they've been doing. You're like, I am 20. <laughs> I can't possibly have that. You know, they, they just have this look down on you attitude. I remember... Um, being at conventions and um, you get the same thing, right? You get someone, the grognard attitude can sometimes be everywhere. And sometimes it's very negative. Sometimes it's a very seasoned group of people that say, oh, you young whippersnapper, get in here. Let me show you how to play this kick-ass game. And they're very helpful. They've known things. They're really good at it. And they love doing it. They want to help you. I, I think, I hope anyway, that more of the latter versus the former, right? Where they're not like, ah, damn kids ruining my game. It's more like, hey, kids in here, get over here. Let me show you how Uncle Brett plays this game. You know, they want to sit down and have a good time with you and and do their best to bring you in. Because quite frankly, those <laughs> those of us that were old enough to be grognards or junior grognards or whatever, that's how I learned. My friend's brother, somebody else decided to say, hey, 
you seem interested, I'll show you how to play this thing. Right? I, I still think more people learn role-playing games through friends or people who are willing to help them learn stuff than we do running off on our own and reading it and trying desperately to figure it out on our own. That doesn't happen that often. No. So I like what Mike had to say here. I thought that was pretty handy. So thanks, yeah. man. I appreciate you right Yeah. Here. Thanks, Mike. We good? We're good. All right, let's move on. Well, let's go into the main topic. You ready? All right. So Blake wrote in and said, hey, you may remember this. It was a feedback we got earlier. I have a question for you both, which has been a, a bit of a long explanation. So here it goes. Back in the 90s, there were groups I played. Uh, their, group, uh, their groups I played in was AD&D. Even when we tried Rollmaster and Palladium, we still played like AD&D. Charge in, no recurring villains or allies. Once the module is completed, no alliance to anyone but ourselves. We tried Shadowrun and died a lot. Seems charging in does not agree with a full lot of weapons. <laughs> we still, in short, we did not play smart because we were still playing D&D. Now, as a quick aside, I would hazard to say, Blake, damn it. <laughs> that's that's not the Game master. Maybe that's the Game master's fault, but man. But what's cool here is then I, I start to go, damn it, Blake, what? Let, let me, let, let's dig in that. But then he says this here. He said, then we tried World of Darkness and quickly, quickly realized, hey, this is not about your team role and mechanical function. This is about why you do things and what your character cares about. We approached playing and running the games differently. After that, we played all games differently. We wanted more story and character depth. I'm like, okay, cool, interesting. So the question is, what game or games changed how you both played and ran games? I think that's a really good question. Because there is, um, at first when Blake started saying this, I'm like, God damn it. Well, it's not AD&D's fault. What the hell is wrong with you, Blake? Blah, blah, blah. And then when he gets through it, though, is we get sometimes we get stuck in like, this is how I role play. Chunk, 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 chunk. And then sometimes in our, our RPG hobby career, if you want to call it that, we encounter a game and it just slaps you, changes you, light shines, oh, angels sing, whatever. And holy fuck. And now you're doing things differently or really improve change or you're getting more enjoyment. You found a level of depth or something. So that's what I want. That's what uh, Blake wants us to talk about. So I figured, what the hell, man? So Sean, um, did you start playing D anD D? Am I correct? That's the first game RPG you played. Yes, it is. Okay, same with me. Do you find, or do you think that there, for a while, excuse me, for a while anyway, you you had kind of the the same issue Blake did, where you, no matter what game you played, you approached it in a similar fashion. Did you have that? Because I know I can tell you, I did. Really? <laughs> yeah. I didn't, I After I thought if... about this more ahead of today, I'm like, I remember playing Star Frontiers the same way we played AT&D, kind of looking at other, like adventures and just trying to kill stuff and get Malut. <laughs> just, you know. I don't, the only reason I would say no is because we played two, di two more vastly different games. Mm. What were they? Top Secret and Star Trek. Okay, yeah. So... The role playing, maybe you know, my my one character from one game is probably the same character in another game, maybe not, but I, I don't think so. And it it's they're just different. So I mean, it wasn't where I was playing. Oh, AD and D, and then we're gonna try. You you weren't kicking indoors, killing people, and, and looting the bodies in Top Secret or Star Trek. No, not maybe, but not for the same purpose. Like <laughs> okay. we would. 
you know, if we kicked down a door and sprayed gunfire around in top secret, it was to make sure we didn't get shot ourselves. Yeah. But you, you weren't like trying to, you didn't find, you were looking for a guard who was in a 10 by 10 room guarding a chest so you could kill him and take the loot, right? No, it's easy to, it's, so I know where Blake is talking about, where he's talking about AD&D and Rollmaster and Palladium, like some of those things can bleed pretty heavily, especially Rollmaster. I mean, it's a fantasy game. So is Palladium. And so is Palladium. Yep. So that I can understand. Shadowrun to some degree, because it's funny because Shadowrun has some of the same species yeah, it races does. It does. as D&D. Yeah. So it's like, but yeah, so I could definitely see how that would happen years ago and, and even maybe to some degree today. Like I might have run a Call of Cthulhu game and they're going in with guns blazing thinking they're going to take down Cthulhu. <laughs> Not going to work. Did you have, so do you have a game or games, a system that you point to and say, that thing changed how I game? Well, there's a few. Yeah, like lay them on me. So not in any particular order. I would have to say Call of Cthulhu. Okay. Um, Dungeon World. Fantasy Flight Games narrative system. Which specifically Star Wars mm-hmm. and I would say those those are the big ones. I think that I can remember. Um, yeah. So World of Darkness, like for Blake, it was big. It was a big deal for me. Sure. Once I yeah, you ran like twenty years, didn't you? Yeah, fifteen, twenty years of Vampire, right? And I still Brett's ran. only I'm like thirty, so he exactly. Started, <laughs> <laughs> I started when I was twelve. <laughs> Yeah. So that was a big deal. That one changed a lot of how I approach stuff. I think what's interesting to me is that was like 9091 when that one really hit me. <laughs> but the stuff you're talking about, dude, that's pretty recent. I in was serving in the goddamn U.S. Army, Brad, <laughs> when you were sitting around playing your freaking vampire game. <laughs> I know. I know, Dad. <laughs> Calm down. Do you date your pill? <laughs> <laughs> I think what's kind of cool about that, though, is that you, you we've talked about this before, where you had the break, you were in your military, and then you come, came back out and you got back into gaming and stuff. I think it's interesting that even after that, it's your advanced age in gaming. <laughs> no, but it's kind of the you're never too old to learn type of thing, right? You, you, you're still looking at new stuff because your experiences with the Call of Cthulhu. I didn't get it. I didn't try Call of Cthulhu until after I had played World of Darkness, and then... The big thing that World of Darkness did for me was it focused me on the story, the plot from running the game, um, kind of a what's a day in the night of, if you will, of, of a vampire of the character. What are you doing? What plans, what aspirations do you have? And some of that harkened to stuff my buddy Eric Schaefer, my high school DM, <clears throat> was able to do really well when he ran a very small Forgotten Realms campaign for me and two other guys, who were just three of us players. He did a really good job. I could never figure out how he did it. But for whatever reason, that stuck with me in my head. And Vampire was like my, it, it really gave me a good idea of how to do that. And to dig into things like, hey, humanity, morality, and um, willpower, and these different stats and abilities. It just really sung to me. And I think one of the coolest things that it did, apart from looking at story and stuff, was the, um, it also made me look at other game systems. Hmm. 
made me say, huh, I want to add, this is a dark, this is a dark game. It's called Vampire or whatever. I want to get some more horror in here. How do I, you know, I should look at the granddaddy horror games. I should probably read Call of Cthulhu. So I pick it up and go, wow, holy fuck, this game's awesome. Wow, look at this. Oh, my God, this is so cool. I never looked at that game. I actually started looking at other game systems that were not um, in my usual, you know, usual little routine. Your yeah. repertoire. Yeah, my repertoire. It just wasn't there. Added some more arrows to the quiver. And I think that was may have been the biggest impact for me. Then I also started reading games because I wanted to read them to see what other ideas they had to take from them. One of the things, even if I didn't run Call of Cthulhu right away, which I didn't, the idea of how sanity worked, um, how certain things could cause, how the sanity mechanics and all that stuff worked. I'm like, ooh, I can use that in my vampire game. I could use that in my mage or werewolf game or even in my D&D stuff. And I found that when, the, when I came back to to D&D after a decent break and playing a lot of World of Darkness stuff, that's when Avalon came along because I'm like, I want to do this type of thing, but with my D&D type rules. I want to have a fantasy game where I care about the characters in the same way, right? Vampire was also a game, the World of Darkness setting was a game that, that taught me I don't have, I, uh, I can have an entire game where no one dies unless it's dramatically necessary or is really cool, you know? where you could go through and mess with characters, right? Instead of taking away their hit points and killing them, you took away their contacts, you killed their best friends, you blew up their houses, you know, you did other, other stuff just to mess with people. And for some reason, that game really kind of popped that in my head. And now I have, I think, a lot more arrows in my quiver other than, well, harpies and trolls are really good together. You know, I mean, that, that was that's kind of fun to do. But... I there was more story in it. It wasn't like, oh, these two monsters will be tough together. I have a I have a reason why in this part of the mountain they operate like this, blah, 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 blah. I just I, I've got more to it. There's mu there's more to it than just a big sack of hit points and experience at the end of it for me. What did you take out of uh like Hall Cthulhu, for instance, and some of the ones you listed? Were were there pieces that you're like, ooh, this is this is gold that that ch kind of changes how I even run D D type of thing or they all they all have a, a little bit of an impact based on something that they offer that I hadn't been exposed to prior to running into them, specifically like Dungeon World and PBT, you know, Powered by the Apocalypse. Or, mm -hmm. um, and so the, 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 the whole kind of, when I read Dungeon World, I was like, Oh, yeah, talking about things in the narrative. Yes, you can do that. Yes, some people do it. But yes, this is a mantra of the game. Yes. Right? Describe the move, moves. Moves are also kind of unique. And so the funny thing is, is when you read Dungeon World, you know the parallels. You know it's the homage to the old Redbox, Beck Me, all those old older school D&D games. It just took whatever we did, even the arrays and the play sheets, that we would always want to roll to make a paladin because you had to meet the 15, 15, 17, yep. 14 minimum or whatever it was. Yeah. Class restrictions, all this stuff. Prerequisites. It was already there. You just had to assign them properly. And so some of the that stuff, you know, failing forward was, you know, it wasn't the black and white. Even though 
some people could argue, when I played D&D, we had that same thing. We ran it that way. We didn't have to have Dungeon World or Powered by the Apocalypse to tell us how to do it that way. You and I have talked about this before, and I've I've jokingly said, well, I don't need that. Yes, Brett, we know you don't need that. Right. Now, that's because I have a lot of years of building up stuff. Yes, right? Brett. Yes, no, Brett. It's just it's just from doing this thing. <laughs> but I let why learn the hard way, right? If there's an easier way to figure it out, if dungeon if you can play dungeon, we're like, wow, this really helps. Why do it the hard way? Why have to go? Why have to go through ten years of quote unquote doing it hard? Or like, wow, I I finally figured out that I could uh, have fail forward plot design in my AD and D game. Or you could have just read, read this book and it might have helped you out. <laughs> you know. Yeah, there's, I think it there's was, some shortcuts to success in a lot of that yes. stuff. Yeah, I think that Call of Cthulhu, you know, the first time I was a latecomer to Call of Cthulhu. I yeah. knew it existed. It never interested me. I never read Lovecraft. Why I never did, understood it. Why didn't it. it interest you? Why didn't it not? Just the it horror? wasn't D&D, man. Ah, okay. Okay. Right? It wasn't, hey, oh, you play some people and you invest. I actually was pretty ignorant, I think, to Call of Cthulhu in general. I, I really think sitting back and looking, you know, looking back and... Jeff's kid, Logan, pay, played Call of Cthulhu, and I think he played with his buddies more COC than he did with D&D, and the, when he played Pathfinder, it would be with us, the old guys. You know, it's kind of cute, is that, or I shouldn't say cute, it's almost funny cute in a way, is that the Cthulhu aficionados were like, well, we just go insane and die. That's all you do in that game. <laughs> okay, that's funny, tongue-in-cheek, if you know there's more to it, but if you don't know there's more to it, that is not a good selling point. <laughs> right, <laughs> which does, is kind that, of the does, thing. Does, I can't, yeah. yeah. Kind, yeah. of, kind of messes up the whole pitch right away. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I just thought, God, it's got to be kind of boring, right? You're kind of making up, you know, a a, a real estate tycoon. What? Come yeah. on. Where's the action in this crap? And it's all about horror. And I'm not, so most of it has to do with me not being a horror guy. I just, I'm not, I wasn't, I'm, I don't tend to get it. There's some people that like horror movies. They're like John Carpenter, you know, Hellraiser, you know, they're yeah. Stephen King. They're all in on all those. And it's one of the movie book, you know, genre. That's not your bag. That's not my bag. I don't I don't mind watching it. My wife will turn on like, oh, a Stephen King thing or a series or miniseries or a movie she wants to see and I'll watch it. Um, but and it might be interesting or it might not like the thing. Right. John yep. Carpenter's the thing. I turned Brett onto that. He hadn't seen it. And I thought that was a classic when I liked it. It was cool. It had some good actors. I liked the plot. But a lot of them were lost on me. So having an RPG based around that, I was like, I don't get it, man. I don't see it. So when I did play, the one thing that really kind of opened my eyes to it was there was just more, like, you almost have to role play more in yes. Call of Cthulhu, in my opinion. It's D&D. Yes, you can you can do that. And it's it's. Some people are not going to agree with me and they're going to be like, Sean, I cannot see you being more wrong. But when, in my experience, when I looked at Call of Cthulhu, because it's not, it, there are roles, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm playing boxer, I'm playing debutante, I'm whatever. Yeah. It's not the same as playing a dwarven cleric, a human fighter, half elf, or an elven ranger. Like it's just not. No, it's not. And, and part of this, too, is that, I mean, to the heart, I think, of Blake's thing is, you know, what helped you, what changed how you do something. Whether or not you could do it in another game doesn't matter. This is the game that showed you it can be done. 
Right. Or, wow, this is another thing I could do. Right. Right. So Call of Cthulhu with me would just be more, it's more of a role playing aspect. Like if you're going to play, if you're going to play a debutante in Call of Cthulhu, what makes you a debutante and not a boxer? Yeah. Right. It's yeah. the role play components. It's what you are and who you are. Same thing as in, in D and D. And I think there is much of that. Don't get me wrong. There's a difference between playing a D and D dwarven cleric and a an elven and a halfling well, maybe, maybe to some degree, right? If you want to throw in the tropes. Um, but it's, we didn't, I didn't see D&D in that way. You know, what's interesting here, I'm going to ask you about Star Wars next, is that when you start with, we start with a game, right? That's just how you play. I have, um, I have, I've, I've played role-playing games with people who have, who started off playing Monopoly. Um, or people who played poker, huh. people who play games that have a winner and loser. Oh, sure. And then you get them into this game, and they're like, well, what do you mean? And sometimes the eye-opener for those folks, which was for my mother and my sister, my father got it, but it wasn't his bag, was there is no winner and loser in this game. This is about an experience. It's about telling a story. It's about whatever it is you, you sell it as. But um, the concept of no winner, no loser was like, mind explode what the fuck this is the craziest thing so what's interesting is like when you get into AD&D if that back in the day or 5e now or whatever your first game is that is like the biggest hurdle so right there whatever games or however you played before unless you like went immediately from make believe as a kid where you made up the rules as you went just to tell whatever funky story you wanted to do as we talked about playing make believe but going from Monopoly poker Pinochle, sheep's head, whatever it is you play in, euchre, and then and then saying, okay, there's no winner and loser in this. We're just going to talk about the time we went to try to go kill a dragon. Like, what? What? I don't understand. You, you already broke that mold, right, starting the game. And then you get in this groove. Whatever your first game is, sometimes you get in a groove like, okay, cool, I get this, I get this. And it's very easy to get back in the every game as winner and loser. Role-playing games are Dungeons and Dragons, or role-playing games are Star Wars role playing games are this, so it is interesting how how both you and I when you start with a D and D and you kind of go that way for a while, and sometimes it takes something pretty drastic, like for me vampire, to like tip that complete apple cart over a little bit. So I've got to restack it. <laughs> I've got to take a whole nother look at it and say, wow, these characters. I mean, the biggest cool thing for a vampire that really ki- kicked me was I should say two pieces was. Um, it, I remember in the first first edition of the rule book, and I can't, I may be paraphrasing it, but I took away from that anyway, that like, look, if you need to climb a chain link fence, anybody can do that. As long as you're not, anybody can do it, give it enough time. If you're trying to do it while dogs, machine gun fire, and a pack of ghouls are trying to kill you, now you need to make a climbing check because it's sketchy. Failing will be interesting. It's dangerous. There's risk involved. Now we care. Otherwise, who gives a fuck? And I'm like, huh, holy shit. I do that with D&D now. I mean, I started doing it immediately after when I ran D&D. Uh, can I climb this wall? Yeah. No one's chasing you. Who gives a crap? The only reason I made my thief in the last Greyhawk game make the check was because it was a sheer wall 200 feet up. I'm like, you don't have enough rope to do that. You're free climbing. Is that really what you want to do? Yep, I'm going to do this. this is really what I want to do. Make your checks. 
because it was dangerous. He could have fallen to his death. Um, it wasn't like hop over a 10-foot chain link fence. I can do that, right? And the other component was the embrace. When you made your character, it talked a lot about how you should have a really cool backstory. How you became a vampire, what happened, why you are this thing was, in my opinion, critical so that you could actually play the character appropriately. I People would, people would say, what do you do? Just, just walk around, kill people and drink their blood? I'm like, no, there's so much more to it because you got this great backstory and you've got this stuff. And that was how I would hook players. I'd be like, oh my God, really? Yes, how did you become this thing? And it was... That piece of it was really interesting. That's the first time I ever encountered backstory. Other than that, where are you? Uh, Fightor from Fightor Land. My parents were killed by orcs. Yours too? Oh, yeah. Fist bump, bro. I mean, that, that's just <laughs> that's how we did it. You know, right or wrong. And every once in a while, I, we would encounter somebody who would have a cool backstory in D&D. We're like, wow, yeah, that's pretty neat. It wasn't necessary for the game, though, because of how we were playing it. But that was really neat. And it probably had more to do with the uh, our age and our um, what we expected. You know, we were fine with a lower expectation, some of that stuff. Now, Sean, I said enough there. Let me throw this back at you. What would you get out of the Star Wars, the uh, the funky dice? What would you pull out of that one? That's got to be the, um, the, the, again, it goes back to not the kind of touching on Dungeon World and apocalypse um powered by the apocalypse engine as the failing six uh failing with an advantage oh yeah yeah, yeah. right succeeding with a disadvantage right or a triumph or whatever so it's it's and the thing is is that it encapsulates the the feel for star wars in my opinion because you you witness that specifically because Edge of the Empire was one of the first things that they came out. They didn't come out with Force and Destiny first in the Jedi book. They came out with Edge of the Empire and Han Solo kind of scoundrels and, you know, scum and villainy. And there's so many situations in the movies, the original kind of trilogy that Han Solo does stupid shit or does something and it's suboptimal. fails. <laughs> yeah, suboptimal, fails, but has an advantage or you know, um, succeeds with a disadvantage. And so it's it's an interesting, it's a mechanic that's put into the game. Again, a lot of this stuff you can implement into different games, but this is codified, it's in the rules, it facilitates a type of play, and it's not overly lethal, which no. is nice, you know. I mean, you can die in Star Wars, the role-playing game, but it's a little bit tougher. I'll tell you, though, so, the, the, the cool narration piece, though, it, it really... Not having it codified, the first time I played that with you, I'm like, huh, interesting. I'm like, yeah, I can do this. I don't know if I need a die system for it. Let's see how this plays. But holy shit, having it codified in there was really interesting because it really kind of curated, like, look, you now need to do this thing, right? It wasn't like at somebody's whim as to whether or not they felt like you should succeed with advantage or not, or that was robust enough of a description. It was the dice said, and then it gave you these bumpers and guidelines to create a narration, which was really, really wicked cool. I thought so. I it makes it makes sense even on the micro level because I think what happens is a lot of us just go roll three green, two yellow, and a red or whatever, two purple. Yeah. We get into the die the and even with some board games, you get into this right. You get into the Lords of Waterdeep, and you're. You know, you're trying to get a lot of the orange pieces and the white pieces and the black pieces. And then once you get all those done, you can complete your little mission thing and then you get points for that. 
But the the game itself, when you look at the actual details of it and you say, what are the three green actually representing? And what are the yellow actually representing? Because then you could say, you're, you fail as a skill because your skill dice actually are doing the failing. And then your, your talent is the one putting you over the edge. That's actually making you succeed. So you're failing because of your skill, but you're succeeding because of your talent. Yeah, I suck at this. My, my skill failed me, but I was able to walk in and slap the side of the Millennium Falcon and get it to work, right? Something. Yeah, my my right. mechanic skill sucks, but Solo walks and goes, wham, and it lights back up. That's talent, right. baby. That's nothing to do with nothing to do with this. And and with the dice, and a lot of people get those books, and they're like, man, those things are so beefy. I got to read this entire book. There's a lot of rules. But when you really boil that shit down, you could boil it down to like a one-pager, two-pager, where all you're really doing is you're having these set dice set to you know your skills and talents and you're doing a die pool and at the same time when things are occurring so the setback dice into the boost dice when you say brett's going to do something so one i'm going to get off on a beaten path quick but one thing that people get confused about in star wars and genesis is that when you upgrade the dice it doesn't mean you add more or whatever you actually change the die types yeah it's a 10 to a 12, a 12 to a, yeah. Well, they, they think by upgrading dice means you're upgrading the difficulty. So you're going from two purple dice to three, but that's not the case. You're taking the two purple and you're changing one of them to a red die, which allows different outcomes and symbols because the red die has some, some pretty bad shit on it. But the reason I bring that up is because, oh shit, I'm going to lose my train of thought. Uh, upgrading dice. Oh, talent and 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 boost. Yep. Right. So when you're when you're sliding the dice around, so Brett says, "I'm going to climb that wall." So he takes his thief and says, "I'm going to climb that wall." That I'm now I know where I'm going. If he's going to climb the wall, the difficulty for climbing that wall probably isn't going to change. Like the ability to do it. So if you're you're going up a sheer wall, it's either going to be really hard or it's not because it's a sheer wall. Now, if I if it rains. Okay. Say it's raining and it makes the surface slick. That doesn't mean the difficulty to, sh to climb the wall changes. Okay. It shouldn't. It's the same wall. The wall doesn't change. It gets, yes, it does. It gets wet. But what happens is that's a condition. So based on the fact that it's raining, I'm going to slide in a black die. Right? Yeah. Change Boop. it. Here. So Brett still can, can climb it, but the, the thing, oh, and by the way, Brett has to do it in a real big hurry now because he's got four guys chasing them. Yep. I'm going to throw in another black die. So that's all this game is. So you get talents and the talents, what they do is they just remove those black or they give a boost. Yeah, it, and that's and all that game is. The usual outcome of that, of the climb the wall in that case is not that I fall to my death. It's that I don't make it or I'm, or I slide or the bad guys see me or two extra gunshots. I mean, it's, it's all narrative, narrative, narrative. It's not about pass fail, shot and dead. Or whatever, it's it's not it's not very black and white. There's a ton of gray behind it because of how you describe what happens. And there's a and and now people could say, well, you could do the same thing, Sean. You could do like the plus two yep. because Absolutely. you know, or the minus two, and then we're gonna set the DC higher and all that. And you can, for sure, and and that's absolutely legit. And there is an equivalency to it. But I would say that most of this, and and Wayne is talking about non-binary results is that and that's exactly it 
is that it just opens up things a little bit different. Even even if I was D and D guy and I knew that stuff, okay, yeah, right. DC up down. I mean, in order to be a Herald level GM at one time, DM, you had to take a test for organized play at Watsi. And you had to know a lot of the shit out of the PHP and DM guide. And there was like slippery surface. What happens when it's a slippery surface? Well, if it's 30 feet and they're trying to run the DCs this and then blah, 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 and you add or subtract it, you could still do that. Obviously, people have you people do that all the time. But I don't know if it's how well it's enforced as part of the deal all the time. And uniformly speaking. What you get out of what what you learned out of that, I'm I'm picking out, is um you, it you're no longer having a roll to see if you pass or you fail. There's Correct. Bet, there's yes. better narration that goes with it for you. Now again, could you have done that all along? Absolutely. This is where I get to right. my joke of like why did, why learn the hard way if there's a better way to learn it, right? If it's a skill you can pick up through playing Dungeon World, that game, uh, World of Darkness for me, understanding that all this work that these people put into their characters had so much value to me, right? So instead of, you know, the gun blowing them apart or the this horrible thing happening or whatever happened, you know, narrating it so that it was tricky or difficult, right, in, in a similar way. I just didn't have the funky dice at that time. But I think there's there's power in learning how that works. And even if you're like, look, I'm not playing Genesis, I'm playing Star Trek. I am playing something else, whatever. I'm playing Forbidden Lands. doesn't matter. The uh, sometimes the the power of or the enjoyment power is almost too weird of a word here, but the enjoyment or appreciation of narrating stuff, explaining things. We talked about this ages ago. Christ, I can't remember how many years ago about critical hit charts. One of the coolest things that I learned playing Middle Earth was from the critical hit charts or any chart master thing that they had was the descriptions stuck in my head. I still use some of those to this day when I describe either as a player or as a GM, a really cool hit or a galactic failure or or an easy occurrence. Those words ring true in my head, and I use that to help explain what's going on. And sometimes, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I think as we get older and we change, maybe I think Blake's question can almost come down to is like, you, you play it a certain way, regardless of what the first system was. How? What? When did you realize your tastes were changing? And sometimes it's like you don't realize that you like spicy stuff until you have your first bite of salsa. You go, oh my God, that's good. Is that habanero? Fuck yeah, I like habaneros. You know, sometimes you got to experience this stuff and you have to get in there and try it. And then you're like, wow, this is this is a big deal to me. It's why it's important for people to play and experience other games because they don't know what they don't know. Yes. I mean, I didn't realize from a, from a Game Master perspective, when someone comes up and they give me this huge, wonderful story and massive investment in their character, I care about that. Because they put a lot of time and effort into it. Yes, I may not um, milk every line or whatever it is, but I it's not like an easy out like Brett won't kill my character if I put a lot of time into it, tee hee hee. But depending on the game I'm playing, if your Call of Cthulhu investigator shows up, he's like, well, I'm Billy Bob and I'm the re- reporter. Um, my parents were killed by thugs. <laughs> okay, kind of boring, not much there. Um, but somebody else is a little more into it or whatever. Um, the other thing, I, I, it becomes more important because what what I found as a game master, the other thing I, I got out of the World of Darkness games is the people who put the effort into making their character fit the city 
working out and so on. They wanted to do cool shit in the game. So when I start playing characters, generally speaking, unless I'm being a complete douche to Sean and just being a pilot uh, that stays on the ship all the time, that's a, a piece I, I try to do more is when I see what the game master is laying out there, I'm like, I make a character that will help do that. I, I, I want to be better at this. I'm not just making my high school D&D character. And this is, again, not a D&D knock. This is like who Brett was at the time. I'm not just making a character sitting down saying, where's my adventure? Right? I, I'm trying to find out what's going on. What's it going to be? What do we need here? What, what kind of story are we looking at? What kind of adventure are we going to be on? Oh, it's called Cthulhu. Is this 20s? 30s? Oh, it's in the 20s. Huh? What, what city are we in? I care about that stuff. Because I want to fit. I want to make it work. And I think then it also helps me as a player because when the game master is looking for help, struggling with something or whatever it is, I try to help them. Not like rules lawyer help, but if they're in Lenny's Call Cthulhu game, somebody said, hey, is that around? I'm like, no, actually, I can't remember what the hell it was. We are talking about spray paint. And so I said, there was no spray paint. I'm like, hmm, I don't think there was. Hang on a second. Looked it up. Nope, no spray paint until 19, whatever, whatever. Okay, cool. Can't, can't use that. <laughs> but just to think, because we're not historians, right? We don't, who, who, who's right, the historian right. on the spray paint? But <laughs> somebody out there is. They wrote the article I read. Uh, <laughs> my point is, is that I become somebody who cares more about the setting, the world, and so forth. And I want to be involved as a player more than I did originally when I first started playing. And I think some of that, a lot of it came from the World of Darkness stuff because the only way, when the players would come to my game and they just were like, bleh, nothing. They weren't doing much. They were just like, well, I have amnesia. My father had amnesia and so did my mom. And I came from amnesia town. Like, great. That's <laughs> fucking lovely. That's lovely, you know? <laughs> I would have weird stuff where people would be like, yeah, I don't, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just kind of a street kid kind of do stuff and i'm a vampire I'm like wow okay that's fucking boring there's nothing to work with there that's that's great thank you surrender madam that's terrible brett you you ran vampire for 20 15, years 16 yeah 15 yeah. years do you think brett will have a, a vampire equivalent game ever again I think the closest I've come is um, I have run Avalon with my home group off and on for almost that amount of time. Almost, not as much. We tend to bounce around more often now. I don't know if I'll ever do that again because I want to play other games now. I was in a rut there. That, the other thing that that did was at a certain point when I said, like, I got into Call of Cthulhu, I was playing a lot of Vampire, and I'm like, ooh, now they have Mage, ooh, they have Werewolf. So I got, like, into that whole World of Darkness arena. But I started watching what other people were doing around me, right? Who Who's into what? What other games are being sold and so on? And even though I didn't break away and play or run Call of Cthulhu, I bought the book because I wanted to read it. So I started building this <laughs> library of game books. I'm like, oh, I want to read this. And then I would go back to it, reference something, or I'd look at it and say, you know, I should really run that. I should play that game. You know? So, I don't know. I, I don't think at this point, I don't think I can do that again. Really. Because I, 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 no, I think I want to do other stuff. You know? I don't want to be tied down to one thing, but I think the other, the other piece I learned out of um, from Call of Cthulhu was the monster approach. 
you know, is that not everything is designed to just be a big bag of hit points to be shot and killed. Sometimes it's supposed to be scary. It's supposed to leave traces. It's a clue. You've got to hunt it down. It's sneaky. You know, all those pieces that come with a mythos monster. And even with um, with vampire, to, you know, to have something that vampires would be worried about, you know, how badass does that thing have to be? <laughs> right? It can't always just be another vampire, but sometimes that was the case, right? Holy fuck, this other vampire is bigger and badder. You know, how do you deal with that? So, I don't know. I think I think that's about it, man. Anything else for you? That that's the stuff that kind of changed me. I think made me do other stuff. It's funny you mentioned the. Uh, you, it's funny you briefly, briefly? Just okay. What? What, what? what? Very briefly in passing, mentioned like what when spray paint? Because <laughs> I wanted to. I want to know that. I think it was nineteen forty-seven. It's like it's like it's like seventeen forty-five Delta yeah. Green. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and I think I but you saying that makes me now realize why I am probably like at first like what in the hell? Mm-hmm. Um I want to know that because I want it I want to be a I want to be part of that. Like I want it to be a thing cuz it matters to me. Because I want to fit in. Yeah, I want to fit into the setting. I want to fit into what it is we're doing. Right. Yeah, I, w- I want to do my work. I want to do my homework as a player and not just show up and go, oh, uh, pardon the loincloth. I didn't realize this was the colonial times. <laughs> I put my broadsword away. I, I want to fit in, you know. Don't want to be that bad. And the reason I bring that up is because on Tuesday, I didn't, I kind of missed it at the beginning of the show, but I didn't. we didn't really play. We went over a session zero, but we're running a, there's a home group of mine. That came to me and said, hey, we're going to run Delta Green. Are you interested? And I said, yes. And during the conversation, we kind of went through the premise of the campaign. And it, and I was like, okay. And then I left. And then it sunk in. And then I was like, what? <laughs> um, I actually got an email and said, okay, the first the first kind of vignette, we're going to rotate GMs. And the first GM is who's kind of spearheading this is going to kick off the setting or the game to be in 1745 colonial America in Darien, Georgia. <laughs> so very, very specific, very, mind very you. Very specific and very not in Delta Green's history or anything. That's interesting. And, and interesting. so I was telling Brett about it. And I'm like, God. And so I went to the group and said, are we, why are, why are we just playing? Because it makes it hard to play Delta Green because everything in Delta Green's like FBI agents, you know, blah, 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 firearms, yeah. whatever, insert profession here degrees like and so i went to him and said hey why are we why aren't we playing call cthulhu and we went over this so they kind of went over and said hey sean we kind of went over this but it just sunk in like how i even make a guy and so i'm giving them the benefit of the doubt because they came back and said well this is why and this is the reason and all this but i think it go i didn't know why where my frustration came other than this isn't Delta Green. It doesn't even exist. Yeah, but at least you sought to understand, right? I did, and I want to because I'm I'm too, too quick to pull the trigger. You know, like, hey, what's going on? This sucks. Well, similarly, you know, is like when some of the things you've explained to me about Forbidden Lands. I'm like, eh, I don't know if I'd even want to. I don't even know if that sounds like fun. Well, instead of just dismissing the game, let's sit down and play it. Right. You know, let, let's give right. it a shot. And I think that the other thing is that once I branched out and started playing other games, I'm like, oh. Because at some point, I'm like, huh, I am tired of 
running World of Darkness for 15 years. What else is out there? What else can I do next? And the next thing I ran for my home group was a Call of Cthulhu one-shot, just to break the ice and do something totally different. It was the first time I'd ever run Call of Cthulhu. It was a hoot. It was a complete insanity. Um, pun intended. And then we just went on and tried other things and played other games. And I think that was that was important, I think, for me, just to be just to know that there's other stuff out there and start paying attention to the other games, what's what else is being run and stuff. I would be, uh, before we quit here, I'd be hesitant. I shouldn't say hesitant. I would be remiss, is what I should say, if I didn't recognize the Middle Earth role-playing game as, uh, like I said, from the, the hit charts, from a narration perspective, was important to me. It also um, it was hard to learn. <laughs> so, But I really love the setting. I love the material. And um, I think one of the pieces that, not the hard-to-learn part, but the, the fact that when... It, when someone came up and wanted to run a character that was, oh, it's like D&D, &D, but in Middle-earth, so I make Ragnar the Barbarian whose family was killed by orcs, and so was, oh my god. To not play in Middle-earth feel or whatever, it was very frustrating. So I started to curate the type of players I would play with, like, ooh, this person likes this, this person knows this world, this person appreciates this style, we're going to play Middle-earth. And similar to what we were just talking about, and I guess that's what tripped in my head, is now if I'm going to play something in 1930s or if it's going to be Star Trek or Star Wars, I dredge through my head and go, what do I know? Do I know enough to our tourist perspective? How do I fit in? Because I don't want to show up and say, beam me up, Scotty. Uh, it's That's a funny joke once in a Star Wars game, but after a while, it gets old. <laughs> you know, if you're like, well, I don't know anything about Star Wars. If that's your mantra knock it off type of thing, right? I want to figure things out and I want to get involved. And I learned a lot of that too, watching players hear pieces about the World of Darkness games I was running. Like, ooh, that sounds interesting. What do I have to know to get into it? And they act actively would ask me those questions. Like, you need to know this. Give me a story. Give me a thing we can work with. And they were very eager to help me, to help for me to help them figure out what to do so that they could get the most out of the experience. And I don't, I, I should say to this day, I don't always take that to heart personally to the best of my ability, I guess, when I'm a player. Maybe I should be better at it. But I think when I do do, when I do I take that approach, it, I have a hell of a lot better time as a player. If I hearken back to those days and say, yeah, if I come at this the same way those players did with me, I'm going to have a blast. And whenever I do that, I always have fun. Anything else, man? No. We good? All right. Well, listeners, if you've got a game, a system, a mechanic, um, any game that changed the way you play or run games, let us know. Um, sometimes it's it can be something really small that just, I'm um, like, huh, I really like this. And I started doing X and I've never looked back. <clears throat> so let us know what you got. Shall we? We shall. Let's get into This is the thing we tried to talk about earlier, but got distracted on. Two to four miscellaneous points of gaming and geekery we want to bring to you. Crazy, crazy guys. Uh, Divination. A supernatural horror RPG slash ritual game that uses a magic eight ball. I saw you post that. I'm like, holy. Hells yeah. That is crazy. Move Ow. over, Jenga Tower. Dread. Yeah, magic 8-Ball. <laughs> I'm going to no, make one that uses a boggle board. That's what I'm going to use. <laughs> no, interesting, though. Like, that's that's kind of cool. 
It is cool. So check it out. Link in the show notes. Uh, second one. Thank you, Stefan Dragonspawn, for the portrait. Uh, shared this on Saturday with some people. Uh, I think I think he did a fairly good job. Oh, he did a damn fine job. So um, he he sent me mine as a little get well thing, and uh, he said, "I'm thinking of doing one for Sean. Don't you tell him." I said, "I promise <laughs> I will not tell him." <laughs> you knew. So I've known. I knew this was coming for a while. I knew it was coming. <laughs> Hey, he shared me shared with me some of his progress. Like, oh, that looks awesome. That's that looks silly awesome. Monkey. Oh, I love it. He's actually going to be coming through Wisconsin later this year. Is he really? Yes, he is. So we'll have to see if I can get you up here. I think he's actually coming through Wausau, so I'm going to have to get you up here. Why is he going? Oh, is that? I don't know. Why is he going up through there? Just, top I secret. Mean, top secret meeting. Oh, I'll talk. I'll talk to him off the mic. So fair very, enough. <laughs> very important. Very top secret. Uh, third one. Pandora. Total destruction. By Broken Ruler Games. Uh, broken Ruler, Broken. Do we know that guy? Broken Do we know ruler. that guy? Oh, it's, it's Todd. A, it's Todd the man. It's a, some Todd Crapper the, guy. The warden. Warden. On Tuesday the 16th, my new Kickstarter launches for a supers game with an edge. Pandora Total Destruction is an RPG about people with very destructive superpowers learning to control their abilities in order to stop a great evil. Each story involves a group of misfits and outcasts with dangerous powers at special institutions known as Pandora Academies. Some of them are schools. Some of them are prisons. Will you learn to control your power before it's too late? In addition to funding a 96-page core rulebook, he's been blessed to have some amazing stretch goal writers such as Aloy LaSanta from Part-Time Gods and Third Eye Games, Alistair Guzman, The Maze, Stephanie Bryant of Thre- Threadbare. Uh, I think that's Thread- Thre- yep, Threadbare, Threadbare, yeah. yeah. Brandon K. Uh, Aiton, Never Going Home, and Brennan Bishop for Ninja Crusade. Nice lineup. So, yeah, when, I, when I saw this, Todd, I thought, man, this reminds me of Dark... It's like Dark Phoenix, the role-playing game, is what I could, what I thought of there. So that's, that's kind of cool, man. That's a neat take. I like it. Good stuff. So I, I uh, so as of this recording, it's not out. But as soon as it drops, it'll probably be like have been out for two days here in twenty twenty. Nice. But anyways, that's all we had for this week for Dyro Brett. What are we talking about next week? I've got a couple different things coming up. One of them that I want to talk about, which I'm thinking is going to be next week, is going to be World of Darkness. I talked about it a bit on the show. And I'm um, talking about games that kind of changed approaches and stuff. There, um, I've got a bit of kind of the history behind the system and stuff, as far as I know it. What I what I'm involved in, and if nothing else, I'm running a World of Darkness based game right now. So I thought it'd be kind of fun to talk about it as to why I'm doing it and what fun it is for me and so on. So, you know what I'm going to do for that I'm episode, Brett? No. Nope. What are you going to do? Dress. I'm going to dye my. I'm going to dye my hair black. Get I'm going to paint my face white. Yeah, probably put on some black lipstick. I'm glad those pictures didn't survive. <laughs> nah, I never did a lipstick that. Never did. Eyeshadow? No, I didn't do that either. Couldn't do makeup. Not my thing. Not shadow, eyeshadow. Not eyeshadow. Is it eyeliner? Eyeshadow is the top. Yeah, eyeliner. No, I never did eyeliner. No, never my thing. <laughs> That's an 80s thing. That's a Duran Duran yes, 80s. Yes, it is. Very much so, yeah. Gen X, man. But I was like, you know... Long hair, black trench coat, black combat boots, black t-shirts, and black jeans. Oh yeah, black trench coat game. Oh yeah, I was yeah, I was like suedo goth. Shocker! <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. Shocker! 
Anyway, that's what I'm thinking we'll talk about next time. So I am going to be a fish out of water for that one. Let me tell you, boys and girls. Good. But I will. I will be here for some edumacation. Sweet man. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for showing up in the chat room. Really appreciate it. Good to see all you folks. Thank you so much. We stream here every Monday night on Twitch.tv. Uh, you can go to gamingandbs.com forward slash Twitch, and I'll get you here 8 p.m. Monday nights. I also stream Saturday mornings if I'm awake and early and talk about RPG prep and stuff. If you see this on YouTube, give us one of these. Hit the like button that looks like this. A little thumbs up. And then, yeah, the thumbs up. Mm-hmm. And then subscribe, too. Do us a favor. And then uh, if you want to catch the audio podcast, you can check it out on our on our on your favorite podcatcher of choice. Yeah. Otherwise, for Gaming and BS, I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. This episode of Gaming and BS produced with help from the following BSers. Wayne Peacock, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Todd Sharp, Duke and Purple, Tendrils, Stefan Dragonspawn, Sky, Rory Weston, Ron Bishop, Roger French, Roger Brasslett, Robert Nemeth, Rich Wishon, Ray Otis, Quigley Malcolm, Pure Mongrel, Phil McClory, Perry Besor, Orcus Dorcas, Old School DM, Old Scoozer Role Playing, Nile Diamond, Merkel Froilich, Miniature Master, Mike Hess Jr., Mike Coleman, Michael O'Holland, Michael Dinos, Melissa Bashinsky, Mark Desaka, Mark Richmond, Larry House, Larry Hout, Laramie Wall, Kevin Keneally, Josh Wallace, John Kayward, Joe Swick, Jim Ingram, Jim Fitzpatrick, Jeff Seifert, Jeff Goad, Jay Plata, Jason Hobbs, Jared Rasher, Isaiah Aries Christian, Hoos Carl, Howard Bishop, Henry Newcomb, Harrigan, Ghost GM, George Sedgwick, Eric Tavola, Eric Frankhouse, Eric Salzwedo, Eric Jeppesen, Eric Avia, Ed Nyes, David F. Baylog, Daniel Garrett, Dan LaValley, C.W. Mallencamp, Curtis Takahashi, Craig Shipman, Craig Huber, Craig Corey Welch, Corey Gonzalez, Cole Kago, Christopher Lang, Chris Steele, Chris Shorb, Chad Gleyman, Brian Rumble, Brian Kurtz, AWOL Trooper, Angus, Andy Olson, Andy Hall, Adam Grotejohn, Aaron Ralia, and Adower Adventure Frameworks. Hey, if you're interested in learning a new game or trying something out, head over to gamingandbs.com forward slash games. There, it'll take you to a forum post where it'll list a spreadsheet of games being offered for BS or GMs. Meet some new folks. Try some new games. Head over to gamingandbs.com forward slash games. The city. It's this sprawling, massive place, miles and miles across. Been here as long as anyone can remember. Nobles play their games. Guilds maneuver for money and influence. Dark things emerge from shadows to hunt. The lamplighters take everything in while keeping the darkness at bay. The thing I always wonder is why. Why do those lamplighters keep the darkness back? What investment do they have in Avalon? Why do they keep involving common folks in the games, the houses, and the guilds? I think they're the true power in Avalon, but I'm only one person. Then again, I've spoken with a blasted lamplighter. Have you? Welcome to the streets of Avalon. This Fawford and the Grey Mauser-inspired urban swords and sorcery city of epic proportions holds adventure, intrigue, and a darkness that comes from its denizens, both above and below. Streets of Avalon is a setting book compatible with the world's most popular role-playing game, authored and designed by our very own Brett Blazinski. Pick up your copy today. This, this has, has been, been a Litterbox, Litterbox Studio production. production.